Hey TCBs, I'm Ashley. And I'm Amanda. And this is Allegedly. <laughs> Uh, Amanda. Yeah. Are you uh, channeling Michael Jackson today, or what was that? <laughs> what was you do know my love for the Michael? Oh, the <laughs> I, I said of the Jackson. It took too far long for you to say that. Oh. <laughs> we don't like Michaels, except, except for, for like, Michael Jackson. Uh, Jesus uh, and There's my a brother-in-law. Like There's my, a couple Michaels. I like my brother-in-law. Mm. I like to call Michael Jackson just MJ. I don't because that's that's Spider Man, that's Spider Man's girlfriend MJ. All right, well now I'm just confused. We went into a subject I don't really care for. Yeah, it's, uh, James yeah. will enjoy yeah, that James, little bit of yours. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. I have a migraine, so we're gonna just we're gonna woof woof it. <laughs> you know. That sounds like something I don't want to do. Well, we're just gonna we're gonna wing dong it. That was worse than the first. <laughs> That was wing dong it. <laughs> it's I am getting delirious. Oh my gosh, I have big news. Big, huge. Did you know the muffin man? I don't know him. I wish I did. I really like muffins. But no, did you know if you have a tow truck license, you can fly a plane? <laughs> No, you can't. <laughs> it, it's equal. There's no tow plane license. <laughs> but I do know why you're bringing that up. Your son is special. He's, he's so special. Um, he should stick to sports, right? I don't understand why he even speaks most of the time. And then Ashley made this dinner for us. And it involved white rice, and I was scooping his food onto his plate, and he goes, oh, rice, yeah, this is Korean. And I said, well, rice isn't Korean. I mean, it can be in Mexican dishes as well. And he goes, huh, I thought rice was Korean. Which is so weird, because usually you see, like, the Japanese and the Chinese people using rice. I never even think about the Koreans. (laughs) I'm not sure what they eat. I just thought all people... I think it's Eat a rice. multicultural Food. thing. Yeah. It's grained rice. It's it's not even Spanish rice. It's just plain white rice. It was just white rice. I think clowns even eat that. Oh, I don't like clowns. <laughs> I don't either. I'm just saying. I think I think all of those people, again with the shower curtain. You said checking. clowns. So I, ooh, ooh. Ah! Ah! Water scum. Water scum. Water scum. What? Um, scum. Um, no, what's it called? Water, water, uh, hard water stains? Yeah, that's what I was looking for. That, you got that mixed up with yeah. water scum? I don't know. I got so scared when you said boo. <laughs> <laughs> On another note, there's a dead lady, Asian lady beetle. The Asians are prominent. In you this waited far too long to say <laughs> beetle when you said dead lady. I was so scared. Oh my God. Dead lady. <laughs> there's a lady on your ceiling <laughs> in your kitchen and you said that the dead lady's been there for how long 
beetle. The dead lady Asian like, beetle. Asian. A week and a half. It's the imposters. They're back. They are. It, it's literally. It's clung. It's a decomposing Asian lady beetle stuck to your ceiling. Yeah. I, we should dissect it. We would need magnifying glasses. Do you have any of those? No, but that sounds like something I need. I have some magnifying glasses. Yeah, I have like, some of those in my classroom. We use them to look at books. Oh, that is a magnifying glass. I, you, <laughs> I mean, they know they, they do make them like where you can put them on your face. They That's do. That's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. glasses for my. Yeah, no, they do. Oh, make them okay. Like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This has gone oh, all what sorts were we talking of. Talking about, I forgot. It's. Been Podcast a, day, so obviously a murder, right? It's I been mean, it's been a wing dong. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that all I see right now is like a <laughs> chicken wing with a penis hanging off of it? A wing dong. <laughs> I'll wing dong you. <laughs> I'm so delirious. That's a great story. Can we talk about murder now? oh wow all right so today we're actually going to cover the second letter in our series because we spent the first two weeks talking about um Dahmer yeah I was really trying to figure out I my love for Dahmer um I just well Two weeks. It could have been a lot more, but, you know, here we are. So it this, could be a lot more, It could yeah. be so much more. Yeah. We are going to cover the second letter in our D-A-S, and A is for Anderson. Do you I know thought what? A was for Apple. Okay. Well, in pre-K, it is. But in... Um, True crime world? Anderson. Anderson. I'm sure there's other words. Or, but for right now, it's going to be Anderson. It's Anderson. So I found two sources that lay, like, the events of this case out the best. Uh, I did find other sources to back everything up because you got to yeah. do all that. But uh, for this case, we're going to, like, follow along with um, just really, like, one source. Uh, I'm going to start this out a little differently. Oh, God. Okay? I do not think in any of the previous episodes I've ever started out the episode with the crime itself. No, we've always built up to it. Yeah, well, we're going to start today with the crime. Aren't you excited? I'm nervous. All right. Well, it was Tuesday, April 21st, 1992. It was a good year. It was. But the 90s were a good year. The 90s were good years. Why can't we go really back to were. that? They were awesome. Uh, it was a normal day for Jesse and Barbara Anderson of Sockville, Wisconsin. Wait, is Jesse a girl or a boy? Jesse's a boy. Okay. His His... Wife is Barbara. Okay. Okay. I'll probably mention that again just because you just ask questions and I just answer and then I repeat. Okay. Okay. So Sockville. Sock. Sockville. Like I put on my socks this morning. Sure. But it's spelled S-A-U-K because it's fancy and bougie. French? It's probably not since it's from Wisconsin. It's not French in Wisconsin. All right. Well, it's 30 miles north of Milwaukee, and only 3,992 people called it home in 1992. That doesn't seem like very much. No, it does not. So Jesse was a salesman for the Lakeside Oil Company in Milwaukee, while his wife Barbara was a stay-at-home mother of their three children, all under the age of five at the time. On purpose? 
I know. I don't know why. Why? Why, why would sure. they want to? Why? I don't know. None. They weren't like twins. I don't think either. They were just three children under the age of five, like crazy people. Absolutely not. When no. I think of people doing that, I think of like. I think they need to go to the doctors and get checked. Remember John and Kate plus eight? No. Uh, yes, I do remember them. I, Why no. are the people doing that? No. But I mean, they had like six tuplets, didn't they? I don't know. This isn't about that. So Jesse made really good money. He made $145,000 a year. What would that be equivalent to today? I am so glad you asked because when I saw that number, I went, holy sheep eggs. That's a lot of money. I feel like that's way above average for that time. And it, it is for this time as right. well. We're talking about 1992. So just for shits and giggles, I did the inflation calculation. In 2022, Jesse would have been making $306,750.96 a year. Being an oil salesman. Uh, yeah, he worked for Lakeside Oil Company uh, being a salesman. Yeah. Sign me up. I'll do it. I'll do it. I know, right? I'll do that job. Yeah. I mean, Jesse was having a slow day at work on April 21st. So definitely sign me up because that's a lot of money. And he's like having a slow day. He's like, eh. He decided to leave around 1030 a.m. To run errands before returning home to watch his children so that Barbara could go to the doctor for a sinus infection that she had been plagued with. He was like, it's super boring here at the office today. I'm just going to go. What were the errands he needed to run? Um, yeah, he actually had a couple errands. It was just, he went to like a fishing store. He, it was just normal errands. He just oh, ran a couple places. Like, okay. No, nothing nefarious. He was just running a couple errands and then we went back. So it actually was a special day. Why? It's a day that Barbara and Jesse had been planning for a while. It was date night. Oh, date night. So, Amanda, you and I both can testify that, you know, date night is something that you need, especially away from children. One-on-one -on -one time. You just recently had that, didn't you? You went I to... did. We went to Ithaca. Yes. Right? I think it was Syracuse. Nope, it was Ithaca. I wasn't there, so. We went to Ithaca, we went to a comedy show, and then we went to dinner to this Louisiana Cajun-type restaurant. You had a lot of fun. It was fun. You guys definitely needed that. Yeah, we, the last time we were on a date before that was, like, a year. Yeah, definitely. James and I do dates quite often. That's uh, nice. I get jealous of that. That's um, nice. I, I think, you know what, I'll save that for later. That's another conversation. That's another conversation. So the Andersons actually hired a babysitter because children under five. Yeah. Uh, and then the couple left their home in Sockville at like 630 and then headed to the Northridge Shopping Center to see a seven o'clock showing of City of Joy at the movie theater. I've never heard of that. I didn't never even. Never heard of it. It didn't even. It didn't even come up on my radar to want to look it up. I have no idea what it's about. City, City of, Joy? of Joy. It was a movie. And it was showing um, in the theater, so I'm assuming it came out in 92. Yeah. Okay. I found it. I looked it up. City of Joy, PG-13, released in 1992. It's a drama slash political drama. Oh, that means... I probably would watch this because it has Patrick Swayze in it. Oh! I like a Patrick Love me Swayze. Some Patrick Swayze. Oh, Patrick Swayze is good. 
Yeah, everybody else, I don't know who they are. All right, well, They're Patrick all, Swayze. Uh, Unknown names? Indian descent. What, they got a whole Indian cast and then threw Patrick Swayze in there? I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, you just need that like, one. one Om Parai, uh, Shabana, Art Malik, Aisha Dakar. Okay, well... Santu Chamdhul. I know you probably but just butchered the hell out of that. I'm sorry if I did. That's so they went and watched that movie. Okay. After the movie, they went to their car. They drove around the mall and then parked behind TGI Fridays. And that was Barbara's favorite restaurant. So that's where they were going. On purpose? That was her favorite restaurant? There are people who just randomly love McDonald's and that's where they're going. <gasps> I love me some McDonald's, but that's not my favorite. Oh, I love. I have categories. Yes, this does not shock <laughs> me in the least. Actually, if you didn't say that, I would be a little we're concerned. On, we're on episode thirty. I don't think anybody was shocked by that. No, new listeners might be. No. No. I have categories, so ranging, you know, price-wise, favorites, because I like to be a help when asked where we're gonna go. Be like, give me a price, and I'll zone it into my category list here and figure it out. <laughs> I'm just here to help. Oh, I love you. So, at <laughs> 10.15 p.m., I'm going to butcher this. Daniel Brotigam. Perfect. Heard a woman screaming, help me! Oh, my God, help me! From outside the window of his mother's fifth floor apartment in Northridge Lakes. He ran down the stairs and into the building's parking lot where he assumed a woman was being sexually assaulted. Why would you assume that? <laughs> Sounds. You hear screams and you think, rape. <laughs> I have no okay. idea. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that happens a lot there. Or something. I don't know. I've got nothing to justify that thought. So instead, he realized that the screams were actually coming from across the street in the TGI Friday's parking lot. So Daniel went to the parking lot where he found Jesse and Barbara between their 1989 Volvo and a white van bleeding from stab wounds. What? Yeah. Do they get to at least eat? <laughs> That's what you're worried about? Well, I'm not worried about it. I was just Is it because you're like me? We it's at least a hungry girl. <laughs> we need to know at least thick did you waste. Did you eat first? We we thick women. <laughs> I am Wow, good thing we I do believe we saw a lot of pregnant women this weekend, oh right? God, everybody on the And water. I talked about my condo and how it's more like because it's got that crease there where my leggings are. So now you got like the basement condo and then the top house is the penthouse. <laughs> penthouse suite up top. You know? It's really sad that they were bleeding though. Yeah. So actually, Barbara was underneath the van while Jesse was on his knees and leaning on his hands. So. Daniel ran into the restaurant for help and then went outside again with the assistant manager to check on the Andersons. Police were called. I have no idea who called, but people called. Uh, officers arrived within five minutes of the phone call. And of 
course, due to the commotion, uh, a crowd started to form. Of course it did. Because people like that. They're drawn to it. Um, I'd like to say I'm not one of them. We would uh, definitely be first in I line. am definitely that. We would, we would be I am seven. that white girl. Yep. And as dating a black man, his instinct is to not go towards it. It's to go away from it. No, no. That is not my instinct. That's not and my he's instinct very, He's like, you're just, you're that white person, aren't you? Sure am. Guilty. Sure do. I absolutely mm-hmm. do. Yep. So an EMT who arrived and provided first aid to the couple asked Barbara if she had been hit by the van. Oh, yeah. Because since she was under it, that would be a logical. Right. He wasn't there. He's not right. Yeah. So Barbara just shook her head and the EMT took that as a no. Jesse Anderson was lying face down on the pavement and claimed that he and his wife had been robbed and stabbed by two black individuals. He also said that she had been struck in the head five times while he had been stabbed in his chest. He said to the EMT, quote, my arms are numb, but I'm okay. Jesse had a knife sticking out of his chest. And the EMT was like, leave that there. Yeah, because if you pull it out, then you're going to bleed out. Yeah, so he pulled it out. Oh, my God. And it turned out it was a red-handled fishing knife with a four-inch retractable retractable blade and a hick. A hick. A hook? A hook. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) A hick. It was super serious up until that point. A hook disgorger. A what? Yeah, I didn't know what that was, too, but I'm not really big into fishing, and I really could have just asked my boyfriend, James. So this is actually just a tool that helps remove the hook from, like, deep within the mouth of a fish. Like, if they swallow the hook, you Mm -hmm. have to, because you can't use your fingers. Mm -hmm. Jesse repeatedly urged that his wife be helped first, but he also said that the knife and a black wool Los Angeles Clippers baseball hat that was laying nearby were those of the assailants. He's like, that's from them. They dropped it. So what happened is, is it turned out that Barbara had been stabbed 21 times. Okay, that's not a robbery. That's a crime of passion. In the face and the head. No, that's somebody knew her. It was somebody that knew her. So one of the wounds penetrated her scalp and into her brain. Jesse had been stabbed four times in the upper left chest and shoulder area. They both ended up being hospitalized and Barbara was placed on life support uh, Froderturt? Freud, Freuderturt. <laughs> Can you spell it? Can you spell it? You're not doing it good. <laughs> F-R-O-E-D-T-E-R-T. Words are hard. <laughs> what is that? Freuderturt. <laughs> right? At the hospital. It was a Memorial Lutheran Hospital, if that yep. helps. Freud and Turt. I'm 100% positive that's not right. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to take a stab at it. Oh, you dirty woman. Oh. <laughs> that. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> We are terrible people. It's so delirious, like, right now. (laughs) We should really just figure out another time to do this, but we're not. Because we do it in the mornings. We always say that, and it never happens. It never happens. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Well, this is still recording. So. Oh. <laughs> We're just going to roll with it. So, Fortitude. The same night of the attack, Jesse said that he and his wife were attacked while reaching their car. And the assailants were two young black males who struck without a warning and without demanding anything from them. He heard his wife screaming. He turned around. He got stabbed by one of the suspects. Then he pushed the other one away. And that's when the suspect's clipper cap fell off. He was then stabbed again. And then he heard his wife screaming again. After that, he attempted to drag Barbara underneath the van parked next to his car because it was probably up higher than the Volvo. So he was trying to pull her away from the criminals while they were trying to get at them. So at that point, the two individuals fled. They were like, all right, well, we can't get to them. People are going to see us. So they left off towards a Best Buy store. Took off that way. On April 23rd, Barbara Anderson was removed from life support at the request of Jesse, who stated that it was his wife's desire not to ever be placed on it in the first place. She never regained consciousness and ended up passing away. One day later, on April 24th, Jesse was listed in satisfactory condition at the Milwaukee County Medical Complex. A tube in his chest was removed and he was up and walking. So he was doing well. So who are Jesse and Barbara Anderson? I don't know, but Jesse did it. Why would the, and what, who the heck are these men? There is no men. Okay. They were just on a date, right? So let's look at okay. Jesse and Barbara a little bit to see how they could have gotten themselves in this situation. A mere 35 minutes from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh-huh. And on the edge of the Mississippi River uh-huh. sits a small town called Alton, Illinois. I know we're all over the map right now. Um, Alton, Illinois sits right on the border of the two states. All right. Okay. Sliced down the middle, literally, half of the river is in Missouri while the other half is in Illinois. Very cool. I don't know why they do that. I, well, you know. I wonder if the fish just, like, swim the border just so they're in, like... The two different states I all the time. I don't think fish care what state they're in. <laughs> well, then maybe the mermaids. Um, <laughs> they only live in salt water. Really? Yes. There's no freshwater mermaids? No. Only salt water. Huh. I, is the fact that we both believe in mermaids but didn't know where they lived the surprise here or the fact that <laughs> there's just mermaids in general? Uh, there's got to be freshwater ones. No. Oysters are found in freshwater and saltwater. They don't have tails and boobs and shells over them. I'm really sure that it's the boobs that make it be that they have to be in saltwater. You never know. Maybe their nipples grow weird if they're not in saltwater. You don't know this because you're not a mermaid. <laughs> Neither are you. Maybe they're... I watched Ariel millions of times. I. That's one mermaid. I. There's loads of mermaids in that movie. I've seen Splash. Do you know what? Let's go back to this. The Mississippi River? Is it the Mississippi River? It sure is. Good thing you remembered. I got lost in the mermaids. So when Googling this place, I found the tab on Wikipedia about notable people. Right? Who was from there? Right. So just like I did in episode 19 with Stuart Weldon. Yeah. So who? who, who Turns out there's not a lot of super well-known people from here. Anybody that I know? Uh, there's legislators. 
There's a lot of senators, no. other governmental officials. No. There was a sports player. Who? Here or there. No, I didn't write oh, them down. Why would you not do that? Because I don't think they were NFL. Oh. I think I want to say one was like Major League Baseball or something. It's like watching paint dry. I love that. Uh, there was an actress from the 1940s, a few musicians, a cartoonist, an abolitionist. I don't know what that is. They abolish things like slavery. I like those people. Yeah. So, but there are two names that stuck out to me, aside from the one for today's case, uh, which, yes, is on there. Uh, but Robert Wadlow was on there. I don't know that. He is known as the tallest person in history. He stood 8 feet and 11.1 inches tall. No. Yeah. I don't know who that is. And then there's James Earl Ray. He's also on there. I don't know who that is either. He is known for committing the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. I hate him. You hate who? The guy who Oh, James Earl Ray. Not Martin Luther. I was well, I was really worried. No. Yeah, no, James Earl Ray. He is from the same town where Jesse was born. Jesse Anderson was born in Alton, Illinois to parents Levi and Mary. On May 3rd, 1957, and because we here at Allegedly are known for our pure disdain for the name Michael, which is so weird how we opened today's case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would be fitting that a man who is our subject would be, you know, put aside Jesse and for whatever reason would go by his middle name and be known as a child to be called Mike. Oh, my God. We hate a Mike. Yes. Yes, we do. So, fuck you, Mike. We're going to continue calling you Jesse. Yes. Good, 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 good plan. Yeah. So, I say that because even though Jesse was attacked in a brutal crime, he doesn't have the greatest past. Okay. Jesse's family had a total of three kids and were an average middle class family. There was nothing really notable about Jesse, so much so that his peers later said that he didn't actually leave an impression on his hometown. Huh. Yeah. In fact, his teachers could not even remember him. Wow. I mean, I can't say that my teachers remember him. No, they, probably they remember do. you. They yeah. remember you. The only thing that could be remembered by anyone was by a neighborhood girl who said that she remembered that Jesse had a short temper. Oh. That's probably because his middle name was Mike. <sighs> the two go hand in hand. Yes. So not long after his 13th birthday, his father actually died just randomly. Like... It was not expected at all. And his mother later remarried Willard Forsey. What what was that first name? Willard. Tell me he went by Will. Forsey. I don't think so. So, unfortunately, Willard and Jesse did not get along. In fact, on one occasion, as a young adult, Jesse got into a fight with his stepfather and beat him so badly that he was taken to the hospital. Jesse beat Willard up? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and sent him to the hospital. He beat him so bad. Yeah, that's a lot. But he must have cleaned up his image a little bit because he ended up receiving a scholarship to Knox College where he studied pre-med and military science. Wow. I know. That's what I thought. I'm really glad that I didn't read it the way I wrote it. How did you write it? That he studied pre-med and military science. (laughs) (laughs) You can clearly see that I did not. 
go to college for that. He was working at Happy Joe's. Happy Joe's? Is that a coffee place? Sure isn't. Oh. He was also a member of the Reserves Officers Training Corps program. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Corps. Training Corps. That's stupid. There's a P. (laughs) (laughs) There's no R in Colonel, but that's also, you know, said... Pronounced like- I I stand by it hundred percent. Language is hard. Okay, English language especially. and speechicles are hard. Yeah. So this is actually a college program that prepares young adults to become officers in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, when the scholarship. Ridiculous. <laughs> we might have to snack it. <laughs> What's snack it? What's snack it? What's Do you feel What is that? Wrote it with an S-E-H. <laughs> you're just, just shocking, shake, shat. Sure, shakshi. I'm going to start you talking like that from now on. <clears throat> okay, you can just hit record again. <laughs> the whole thing was recorded. to the program so when the scholarship ran out so did jesse he just left he dropped out of college in 1977 because he and his mom couldn't afford to pay for it for him to continue so he had to stop wow so he moved to iowa what the hell is in iowa he actually started working at a different happy joe's what the fuck is a happy joe's (laughs) it's a a place oh my god it's a place so, it's actually managed by the same man as the other one that he was working at. Oh, so he, like, okay, yeah. So, he just, like, transferred. Yeah, he was, like, I'm not getting anything done here. So, he moved to Iowa. His co-worker, Bill Rees, decided to play matchmaker. Oh, and, like, set him up on a little blind date action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it with Barbara? No, it was oh. with his sister named Deborah. We also hated Deborah. <laughs> What is this? The podcast uh, episode with all the names of people we don't like? I did not do that on purpose. <laughs> so he decided to introduce Deborah and Jesse, and Deborah was smitten and fell in love with Jesse, like, instantly. 
course, that was without heeding the warnings of her own family. Oh, what did they tell her? Well, Deborah's parents and brother. But but he, it's the same brother that set them up? Yeah. What? Listen, I want you to go out with my coworker, but listen, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I know. That's a horrible matchmaker. I mean, Red flag. What is happening? I don't understand that either. Uh, they thought that Les- Leslie. Oh my gosh, who's Leslie? Jesse. <laughs> they thought he was untrustworthy. Hmm. Why did I think that? I don't know exactly. Just... I heard I on another podcast that he was lying a lot. Like, he would say he did this, 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 and this. But there was, like, there's no way you were, like, yeah, in the just... army this long yeah. and went through all this in life. You're, like, 20-something. I think it was just, like, I did all these wonders. Well, I was president of the United States. You're 14. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? That kind of thing. So, like, I can drive a tow truck and I have my pilot license on the same card and can do both. You literally could do that. You could literally have both. You meant to say, (laughs) I, I got my tow truck license, but now I can fly a plane. Yes, you're got correct. it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So Deborah decided to marry Jesse anyway. That seems like a super big step. I don't know how long. We just went from blind date to marriage. <laughs> okay. So the weird That's thing. That's something the other Deborah would do. I'm pretty sure she did. Oh, she did that. So Jesse was lavishing Deborah with expensive dates. Bill was unsure how Jesse could afford that since they worked at the same pizza joint. And he wasn't going on lavish dates. No. Eventually, the owner of the restaurant soon found out out that Jesse was stealing money from the cash register. Huh. Jesse was then fired, but the owner did not press charges. Big mistake. Big mistake. So later, Jesse became like someone you and I both know, Amanda. Mm -hmm. Let's just say he lived up to his middle name. Jesse began to criticize Deborah about her weight. Oh. And then started lying to her about, like, stupid shit. Like his work schedule. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know somebody else who did that. Yep. So I just want to insert something here just because of what happens later. And I'm unsure how true these are, but even if Jesse was lying about it, it shows his character to lie about something like this to Deborah. So Deborah has said on several occasions, Jesse would brag about beating a man with a baseball bat. Oh my God. And the way he talked about it, it seemed he had never been apprehended for the offense. Oh my God. He was just like, yeah, I've beat a man with a baseball bat and never got caught. Oh my who, God. Who just randomly says that shit? Yeah. And not only that, but it like when you first said that, I was like, oh, well, his stepdad. But no, this sounded like he wasn't, he was, the cops were involved in that, weren't they? Well, I mean, the man went to the hospital. Yeah, I don't then, know if there was anything that showed about that. It, I don't, it, I never found out that there were any charges. I would assume that since he went to the hospital. Unless they made up some wild story of how he got hurt. Uh, who knows? He actually also confessed to her that while he was in high school, he had committed a series of burglarly, burglarly. You made it sound so lovely. Burglarly, 
Burger lilies. Burger lilies. Burglar lilies. Burglaries. Burglaries. With a friend. With a friend. And he got away with those. He's under the radar. Like, the radar is up here. He's down here under it. way under it. Yep. So, the family moved to Chicago. Deborah and Jesse. And Deborah ended up giving birth to their son. Oh. In 1983. And then in 1984, Jesse graduated college. He ended up going to college again. He got a degree in business administration from Elmhurst College. Oh, I've heard of that. And that's when he decided to make a change in his life. Like divorcing his wife? Yep. He filed for divorce, claiming that Deborah had subjected him to, quote unquote, extreme and repeated mental cruelty. Okay, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Deborah later won a battle for custody, and she later remarried, and her new husband adopted Jesse's son. Wow. Yeah. And Jesse was fine with that. Red flag. In 1983, before his divorce, however, is when he met Barbara Ellen Lynch. Barbara was born on December 9th, 1958, to Thomas and Veronica in Elsip, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Neighbors and friends remembered her and her family actually very fondly um, and as devout Christians. Hmm. Those who knew her closely, including her parents, said that she was a private person. Uh, She was unlikely to tell people her problems at all. Uh, I feel like we covered somebody else who was like that. Oh, you know who it was? Brooke Schuyler Richardson. Oh, that was one of my favorites. Yeah, that's episode two and three if anybody's yeah. interested. On March 30th, 1985, we would have just been born. Oh, that's when we were in the world for the first time together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Huh. And here we are. Here we are. All these years later. Here we are. Uh, so Barbara and Jesse got married oh. on that day. So according to friends, Jesse wanted a perfect marriage. There's no such thing. And a perfect relationship. That's... He no. he even ended up writing a letter to her about it before their wedding um, because he had a concern about their, about their marriage being perfect. And I think it came down to, you know, his last marriage. That wasn't bad. To him, it was not perfect. So Barbara's family wasn't too keen on Jesse either. Oh, you don't say. I wonder why. I do say. Her brother, Thomas, was actually a policeman. Oh, my gosh. So using his resources, he decided to investigate his new brother-in-law's past. Oh, you mean like run a background check on him? Because he didn't do that. He did. He He sure sure did. did. He discovered that Jesse had applied to work for the FBI. Why? Yeah. He did that on purpose. But he was turned down. Because he couldn't pass a psych eval? No, because of, quote, unquote, his past record. Past record? Jesse claimed he was told by the Bureau that they were not hiring white males because of affirmation action. That sounds like something that he just made up. 
It means discrimination. Oh, I know what it means. Why are they? Why would they be discriminating? They would never tell you that. That's not something that they would give you a reason. They they wouldn't they wouldn't say that as a reason. To a white male, nonetheless. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. So Jesse Anderson also applied for the CIA, and apparently they told him we're not hiring right now. <laughs> to put it nicely. Yeah. Sorry. We'll uh. We'll keep it for a future reference. <laughs> Try back in a few years. In 1987, Jesse and Barbara moved to Cedarburg, Wisconsin, which is only like 22 miles away from Milwaukee. Jesse got the job at Lakeside Oil Company in Milwaukee. And Barbara soon had the total of three kids with Jesse. Ugh. In August of 1988, Jesse formed his own company. Oh. Called Olympic Petroleum Products, Inc. And Barbara actually was serving as the president and sole shareholder as a means to obtain minority contracts. Woman-owned business. Ah. In 1988, he made an unsuccessful bid for the Cedarburg Common Council. He was also a golfer, a kickboxer, a fitness buff a volunteer, an active parishioner, church council representative, as well as treasurer of the Cedarburg Lions Cub Club huh. for the year of 1991. Mm-hmm. The club president described him as, quote-unquote, very outgoing, full of fun, very enjoyable person to be with. And he also claimed that he had been slated for re-election as treasurer. Jesse and Barbara were also active in the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization. That was big in the 1990s. It was, yeah. So as women, we know that losing baby weight is difficult. It's funny that I brought that up earlier and I didn't even think about it. Huh. I did not even remember half the time. I can't even remember. The The case is as big news to me as it is to you. Yep. It's big yep. Because it's night. Yep. I, I could tell James all about this case earlier. Now I have no idea what's happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where did the mermaids come from? <laughs> Don't remember that. Uh, is is losing baby weight hard? Um, yeah. I got condos. Uh, yeah. Pet houses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was no different for Barbara. But when Barbara was having trouble losing the weight after her children, it seemed that Jesse became increasingly angry and critical towards her. Seems like he was like that with somebody else, too. In January 1992, she actually went to a marriage counselor. Singly? Like by herself? I couldn't find out. Okay. But she was complaining about her husband's controlling attitude and his growing anger about her weight. It's a red flag, sister. And I think she was going alone and he found out is what I'm guessing. He then forbid her to talk to the counselor. Another red flag. Yep. So in mid-March, Barbara's parents received an unusual phone call from Jesse. He told them that Barbara seemed to be out of it, was experiencing headaches. She had randomly mentioned that she was scared to die. So with these weird things going on with Barbara, Jesse decided it would be a good time to surprise her with a second honeymoon. A second honeymoon? Mm Mm-hmm. Where was this one to? 
Uh, he booked it to Jamaica from March 18th to March 21st of 1992. Barbara's parents later said that Jesse spent a lot of time playing golf every day while they were there and not a lot of time with his wife. So basically he booked it so he could go play golf. I'm sure he booked it just for looks. See, look what I'm doing. We're, it's yeah. looking good to everybody We're so else, in love. But, right, yeah. However, the time he had spent with her... Barbara had told a friend that she was miserable because of how Jesse was treating her. For instance, during one of the times that they were together, he tried to convince Barbara to climb up the side of a really high waterfall. Uh, she complained to him that that was not possible because she kept slipping because she was wearing sandals. So she refused to climb it and he ridiculed her for that. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. He's crazy. Yeah. So the trip had been so bad that when they got home, Barbara said she's never going on vacation with him alone ever again. Good. On March 30th, Jesse visited the county dog pound. Did he get, did he get a little dog dog? Did he get a dog? No. He surrendered the family's English setter, Shane, as well as their cat. Barbara actually was really upset with the dog's behavior because she has the kids. Um, she was really upset and hoping that the dog wouldn't harm the kids. So he took the dog to the shelter. And because of the temperament, the dog was euthanized. Oh, my God. You promised no dogs were going to be hurt. You lied. Oh, my God. I didn't promise. You could have left that out. You could have left it out. I think Why would you not leave it out? Because I think it shows his, his, no. him. I love you. Are you okay? I said a little prayer for Shane. Okay. The cat. Mm. What if it was Ramsey's? <gasps> I love him. I and I really like my brother Emery's cat. His name is Bowie. Maybe you like cats more than you think. No, really don't. So we're going to go back a little bit now. So that was that was detailed what's been going on up to our time in April here, okay? So the attack just happened now in April. After the attack, while the pair were still in the hospital, the police wanted to speak to Jesse more about what happened because mm -hmm. Jesse seems to be coherent enough to do this. So on April 22nd, Jesse said that as soon as he heard his wife scream, he turned. He saw that she was being stabbed by one of the suspects by the back of the van. He then went to help her but was stabbed by the same individual. Meanwhile, his wife went down. And that's when she stopped screaming and crawled under the van while the other suspect was trying to grab at her. After Jesse was stabbed, he tried to get in his car and use the car phone to get help, but he fell to the ground. Then he reached for his wife and pulled her further under the van. On April 23rd, he confirmed that version. Okay. But he omitted the part where he tried to get into the car. So he didn't say that version. He didn't say that part in the version. On April 25th, Jesse contradicted himself when he claimed that his wife kept screaming while she was crawling under the van. He also claimed that the man with the knife fled soon after he fell to his knees from stab wounds. 
He added that he got stabbed. He opened the right front door of his car to unlock the rear door to get the cell phone and call for help. However, he became weak before he could do it and decided to yell for help instead. He also said that after he fell down to the pavement, he reached his wife under the van and attempted to move and shake her. She did not talk to him, but moaned and shook her head. I don't believe any of that. It's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, granted, he was just a horrific thing had just happened. So I can't tell you if anything happened to us, if I would remember the events very well. Well, yeah, that is true. That's true. I don't know. We make plans for a fire in case there's a fire. And then as soon as something happens. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. idea. Nobody stays calm. Yeah. So I cannot guarantee that I would be much help if something were going on. That's true. That's true. So he also claimed that the suspects were in their early 20s. The one who stabbed him and his wife was about six feet, one inch tall, slim build, about 170 to 180 pounds, wearing a dark hoodless jacket, almost like a parka, dark pants, black high top tennis shoes, the clippers cap that was found nearby. And he said that the cap was worn backwards in a way that would indicate gang affiliation. Nobody could see you do that. (laughs) Nobody but me. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what that means. Why does a- Because I see men wearing hats backwards all the time. Yeah, my son wears one backwards all the time. I can guarantee you he is not in a I hat. honestly think it's sexy. Oh. Like when James does well, not James, my- James will spin it around and I'm like, is shit about to happen? Are we about to wing dong it? Is that what we're- <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> So I I don't know what gang affiliations and hat backwards have to do with anything. And just because you and I were just two simple white women mm-hmm. doing a podcast, I did not want to just assume that Jesse was just talking out of his ass, right? Okay. So I asked our resident black man and I said, hey, James. And he assured me that wearing the hat backwards was not an indication alone. He said that if perhaps the suspect was like wearing a do-rag or a bandana of a certain color underneath, that may have sold the idea better. Oh, okay. But even then, it would have been like a stereotypical response. Yeah. So, a racist response. So yeah. the whole thing here seems like <laughs> as yeah. soon as you're like, he was wearing his hat backwards, that's drug affiliation or gang affiliation. Yeah. What kind of stereotypical nonsense are you talking here? Just making it up as we go, I guess. So Jesse also said that the suspect had a medium complexion and had hair that was really short on the sides and in the back, but longer on top and a thin mustache. But if he's wearing a hat, how did you know what? First of all, this is quite a description for 1030 at night. Not only that, so it was dark out. Everything was happening so quickly, and you were able to recall that much, that much detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I call bullshit. So as for the other suspect, he described him as thin build, smaller than the other, wearing dark clothing, but that was it. That's all he could say. So Brenda Newman, who lived in the same building as David, 
She actually uh, heard the screams. Do you remember, David? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, she actually heard the screaming, the help me, help me. That's what she said she heard. At approximately 10.10 to 10.15. Okay. All right. When she looked out the window, she witnessed a woman being chased by two dark-clothed African-Americans near a white van in the parking lot. No. She's in on it. (laughs) Oh, my God. You are so suspicious of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That could be true. According to her, several people were actually leaving the re- leaving the restaurant and witnessed the scene and did nothing. Uh, but just, you know what? His name was not David. It was Daniel. <laughs> David, Daniel, tomato, avocado, whatever, you know. I was sitting here going, who the fuck is David? <laughs> well, you asked me if I knew David. And I, I had it written down as David and you remember David. I just knew it was the man who was at the apartment that heard, and it, then it was across the street. So, I, that's, that's, I knew. I'm winged off in the corner. I'm winged off I love how I just made a random sound, and you know that it was wing donging. <laughs> and you're like, yep, we're wing donging it. You're right. That's how our That's how our bra- brines. That's how our, our bras are connected. I'm not wearing a bra. <laughs> They're flopping in the breeze. never are. Why do I come with one on? Why am I not informed that this is the braless event? Two weeks ago, you came in onesie pajamas with no bra and no underwear. I had nothing on underneath that. Ever since then, I thought the rule was we didn't have to wear a bra. So nobody told me. <laughs> Look at, I've got one on. Do you want to see my? Oh, I don't have one. On. That was full nipplage. <laughs> for real? Stop it. Was it for real? Did I? I didn't pull it up. Though. I saw the nipplage. <laughs> the areolas. That's a fun word. <laughs> oh, my God. You just almost fell into the shower. We're still rolling. This is so bad. All right. We're going to get phone calls. From where? <laughs> Mental health facilities. <laughs> ring, ring. Hello, chap. Send, send the wagon for them. They sure are wing in it. Why are the British people coming for us? <laughs> Ashanda is in full force tonight. Those Ashanda women, they really know how to wing dong. <laughs> oh, Daniel. <laughs> right, Daniel. Really? <laughs> Daniel got us going. All right. All right, here we go. Where were we? Nobody did anything. Ah, yes. Nobody did anything. <laughs> The woman also witnessed Daniel running towards the restaurant. Like he okay, because he had heard the scream, so he was, yeah. Minutes later, after she had woken up her boyfriend, she saw the same individuals running towards two separate cars in the general direction Jesse had indicated, near the Best Buy. Okay. When advised by the detective that it was important that she only stated items that she was certain of, she changed her story. 
And she claimed that she only recalled one assailant wearing dark clothing while she could not be sure whether he was African-American or not. She then added, quote unquote, it may have just been the husband. (laughs) What in God's country is happening here? (laughs) She (laughs) was so, Brenda, what what is happening? Was her name Brenda? You said her name was Brenda. Oh, you remembered that from so long ago. <laughs> her name was Brenda, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Sure was. Yeah. Brenda Newman. Look Brenda at that. Brenda Newman. I we love can't. Newman. We can't. This is. I mean, Newman from, from um, what's that movie? What's that show he was in? Newman. Seinfeld. Wow, you just played a rousing game of trivia with yourself. <laughs> So it just so happens that on this night of the event, Jesse was actually wearing a black and white sports coat and black pants. Oh! No one else saw the attack. Police were unable to lift fingerprints from both the knife recovered at the scene and the bloodstained key found in the Volvo's passenger side lock. Police did find a letter, however, in Barbara's purse. So it was dated for July 13th, 1987. Wow, that was years before. Seriously, she must just... Does she change purses? I have does so many questions. Does she clean out her purse? Like, like, she has kids, so I know she has stuff in that purse. It has to go in it to And go. she's a woman. Like, she's got to be changing purses from 1987 to 1992. Who keeps a purse that long? Is that a thing? Um, not for us. And if she's changing purses, she's just keeping this letter on her for what purpose? Yeah, maybe she didn't want her husband to find it? Well... In this letter, she actually described being pushed, kicked, and threatened with a knife by Jesse, as well as his threats about her th- about throwing her out of the house and taking all her credit cards. In the letter, she also asked why he continually talked about divorce and how he could throw a knife at her while she was holding their child. Oh, my God. She never gave this letter to Jesse, even though it was to him. So when 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 crows what when confronted with the letter confronted Jesse denied that he and Barbara actually had any marital problems. Of course, because he wanted everything to look perfect. Remember? Yes. Also in her purse was a letter written by Jesse about how important the family was and how family came first. After some investigation on April 26th, police chief Philip, tell me that says Areola. <laughs> it says Areola. But A-R-R-E-O-L-A. Areola. Mine were just out. <laughs> That's so weird. Spell it again. A-R-R-E-O-L-A. Areola. Did you know that your boobs were foreshadowing? <laughs> That's amazing. What is happening? Knock, knock. Who's that? Ariel. Wing dong. <laughs> wow. I'm just. You're blown away. I really am. I just. I can't stop moving my head like that because I'm just so shocked. <laughs> no Wing idea. Dong. Wow. So anyway, this man with the areola last name, <laughs> Police Chief Philip there, he announced at a news conference that Jesse Anderson had been arrested the afternoon before. Okay. 
and he was being held on suspicion of murder. Yes, for killing his wife. He did do it. I said that. <clears throat> I'm sorry. When you announced that back 40 minutes ago, was I just supposed to be like, yeah, you're right. End the podcast. <laughs> Point taken. <clears throat> okay. It was later revealed that within a few hours of the stabbing, investigators split over the veracity of his story. Yeah. All right. So inconsistencies. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yes. He told of many versions. First of all, dude, you were way too descriptive and had too many. Listen, how is it you're so descriptive of one man and you're like, the other one was just like, I'm slightly shorter. That's all I got. Yeah. You but you're like that much about that guy. You the man's complexion. Yeah. It's short hair on the sides and in the back, but longer on top. It was 1030 at night. And under a ball cap. But the ball cap did. Came off when he was running away. Right. And, you know, in the midst of an attack. It just okay. seems a lot. So, anyway, there were inconsistencies between his account and evidence that actually included the fact that he had only minor scrapes and cuts. Mm-hmm. Including one below his left index. While his wife actually had several defensive wounds on her hands um, from blocking knife blows. Yeah. And it was a fishing knife of which he went to the fishing store earlier that day. So he received four stab wounds in a small grouping over his left chest. Yeah. One of which, yeah, one of which punctured his left lung, but none of which was considered life-threatening. No. So, in fact, his wounds were largely superficial. And two of them were actually hesitation wounds. You don't say, because he was scared to to do it to himself. Yeah. Yeah. So Barbara, however, had been, like, brutally stabbed. Yeah. Multiple times in the face and head with such force. If that's any, if SVU has taught me anything, that many stab wounds is a crime of passion. Somebody knew her. It was somebody that knew, it's the fire station alarm going on. Oh, um, I thought the British were coming for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could see how you would think that. But nope, the fire station at the end of the street, that'd be that. But that's that crime of passion. She, which is so funny because the next line says, which is consistent with the crime of passion. Foreshadow. Hello. What is happening? Is it a full moon outside? I don't know. So while he was being interviewed, Jesse was questioned as to how his wife could have been stabbed so frequently in the brief period of time between him hearing her scream and running to her aid. He stated he could not give any answer to that question. Oddly, he asked investigators to find the killers of his wife. He was just like, I have no idea how it happened. Please find them. So the fact that the assailants made no demand for money or said anything before the stabbing, as well as the fact that Barbara's purse, her two silver rings, her gold watch, Jesse's wallet and money, and his gold medal chain actually remained at the scene, conflicted with the initial assumption that the crime was of a robbery gone wrong. Yeah. Anderson claimed that he did not believe any of the alleged assailants tried to go through his pockets or even tried to reach for his pockets at all. Yeah. Also, witnesses who were on the scene before and after the killing denied seeing anyone who was suspicious or anyone who was running away. Contributing to suspicion being placed on Jesse was his behavior at the hospital. Oh, how was the young chap acting? Dr. Stuart Rice. 
we had rice. <laughs> White rice from the Koreans. Dr. Stuart Rice is the neurologist. He mm-hmm. thought it was rather strange that when he informed Jesse of Barbara's condition, he became very adamant about pulling the plug on the life-sustaining system. That's not how I would... What he said was pretty much like, pull the plug, we don't want her in a vegetative state. But according to Stephen Fay, who's a family friend, Jesse actually made this decision before he was actually informed about the wife's condition. He just all of a sudden said, don't put her on life support. No. He didn't even know what was going on with her. So Stephen Fay also said that he thought it was odd that Jesse was talking about his golf game during this time in the hospital. And he also claimed that Jesse kept changing the story of the attack. He said that he would get the order of events mixed up and sometimes omit the second suspect's involvement in the stabbing at all. Also, Jesse seemed very interested in his wife's condition, but refused to see her. Why? After the life support was removed. He just didn't want to do that. He had no signs of, like, crying or emotion until investigators suggested that an autopsy be done on her body. And then he... Then he freaked out, right? Cried like a baby. Yeah. Jesse claimed that it was actually his wife's wishes that her organs be donated. Uh, And he actually became furious when they learned that the autopsy actually would be done first. I don't like anything about this man. Yeah, I know. In April 22nd, an anonymous caller actually reported to his mother. Sorry. An anonymous report. Sweet children. Of the corn? (laughs) You were going to say? I don't know. Let's let's boop a dee beep beep rewind. On April twenty second, an anonymous caller reported that his mother had witnessed the sale of a cap. <gasps> Similar to the one left at the crime scene. According to the caller, the sale occurred at Northridge Mall about lunchtime on April twenty first. That was one of the errands he went to do. A black male had approached an African-American couple who were filling out employment applications and offered $20 to buy the hat from them. That same night, 18-year-old art student named Tommy Miles came forward claiming he was the one that sold the hat. The buyer, which contrary to... To what was originally reported was actually white, not African-American. This white man approached Miles and his girlfriend, Wanda Jackson, with a dubious story. He said he was also looking for a job. And an interviewer at the store was testing him by sending him into the mall to buy something from a stranger. Okay, that's believable. (laughs) Who does that? Nobody. No employer does that. Hey, if you want to work for me, this is what you have to do. Mission. Mission style. No. 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 Later, the young man saw the cap on the television news and identified it by a motor oil stain on the side. Saying, yep, that was mine. So the buyer of the cap was described by the couple as a male in his early 40s. Five feet, nine to ten inches tall, 140 pounds, 
balding in front with a brown mustache and wearing a beige jacket and prescription sunglasses. Or just glasses, not sunglasses. All right, so quickly, Amanda, this would be Jesse Anderson. Oh. And just for future reference, this is also Jesse Anderson. Oh. He looks like... No. But you can see where they're, they're like, on point with the description. Yeah. So those of you yeah. who can't see it, go to our Facebook page or Instagram. The pictures yeah. will be up there. But this was, like, down to a T. Yeah. Uh, aside from the pictures that I just showed you, he did not have the glasses on. Um, maybe that's because he found out that they don't train your eyes Lesson. Or, or, Lesson. or he thought that they Wearing would ruin his, would ruin his eyes. I don't know. Okay. So the Anderson's babysitter confirmed that she saw Jesse wearing prescription sunglasses. Why do I keep saying sunglasses? I don't know. It's just, just glasses. Glasses. When showed a photo. Okay. So there was, you know how the police are like, here, here's all these photos. Yeah. Choose who it is. Uh, Miles, the guy who owned the cab picked out Anderson. Wow. Yeah. He failed to pick him out of a lineup, though, but claimed that the man in Anderson's spot in the lineup was the one who resembled the guy the most. He wasn't like, hey, that's Anderson. He was like, that guy kind of looks like him. However, his girlfriend did the opposite. She was able to look at that man in the lineup and go, that's him. But in the photo Couldn't pick array up. was like, uh, that kind of looks like him. So a mall employee, Dennis Schmulzer. That's how that was supposed <laughs> to be said, I'm pretty sure. There's, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely an S-C-H there in the beginning. He had also witnessed the sale. Why we are buying things for a murder just in the public eye is beyond me. Ugh. Not that I'm saying you should buy props for murders and telling you how to do it. Do it in the public eye so everybody knows it was you. Or don't do it at all. Don't do it at all. Don't murder people. That's bad. So this mall employee described the buyer as a white male, Mm -hmm. late 30s, early 40s. He couldn't really tell. Five feet, 11 inches or on the cusp of six foot. Slim build with a big chest. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Does that mean he had man boobs? I, I don't think so. He's slim build. How's he got man boobs? Maybe he just puffed it out. Oh. You know? Okay, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, like, broad, like a broad shoulder chest to look, type. To look. You know, to impress I don't everybody. know. Um, and he said he was about 140 to 150 pounds, short grayish hair on the sides, balding on top with a slight tan. Wearing beige dress pants, beige sports coat, a white shirt, brown or black shoes, and no glasses. No glasses. Right. When showed a photo array, he identified Jesse as the buyer. Also, a mail carrier named James Pelletier told police that on one of four dates in late March and early April, in which he was working downtown in Milwaukee, a white male with a mustache and balding hair had approached him, asking where he could find an army surplus store. So, 
the mailman directed him to DeShazer's store. The mailman also said that even though he could not be positive, he believed the man was Jesse Anderson. Eventually, DeShazer was able to recover a receipt for $18.95, which is the exact amount of the knife issued on April 2nd, 1992, one of the four dates pointed out by the mailman. Investigators also, wait a second. Jesse, did you catch that? No. Jesse Anderson went to the same mailman on four separate dates in March and April asking for an army surplus store. Went to the same mailman on four different dates and asked for the same store. You can't remember where shit is? Why does he need to ask that many times? To the same mailman? What was he like? Oh, oh, it's 1.08 p.m. He should be here. I need to ask him about the army <laughs> surplus store again. I wrote it down, but I don't know where it is now. So four times you asked the same man where the same store is on purpose. He's an idiot. I'm sorry. I, I just processed all that in my head. So investigators also discovered that in early April 1991, the Andersons had applied for a $250,000 life insurance policy on Barbara. Barbara. Jesse claimed that he knew about the policy, but had no idea how much it was for. How do you know about a policy, but you don't know how much it's for? Until mm-hmm. he checked it on April 24th, 1992. However, it was later revealed that he actually called the insurance company a month before the stabbing in order to check up on the life insurance policy on his wife. Jesse was allowed to pay his respects for his wife before the funeral. It was later revealed that part of the ploy by the police was to see his reaction. Yeah, of course. So while he was being escorted to the funeral home in handcuffs, he talked about the weather. He talked about sports, recent games. And he even stated that if he had the cash with him, he would be happy to buy the officer's breakfast. But since he was in custody, he could not. But did he mention anything about how sad he was for what he was about to be going to do? Uh, well, actually, his demeanor quickly changed when they arrived and he approached his wife's casket. He actually talked to her. He said, quote, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. And then he became super emotional, but didn't cry. Then... He got, like, a nosebleed? (laughs) Just a random little bit, not a lot, just a little nosebleed, and then said he was not feeling well. So he was taken to the restroom. Then all of a sudden he was better and then went back to her casket. Okay. That's a weird. Weird? It's weird. Oh, I'm in the bathroom now. I'm much better. I can go back out. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll try that next time. I don't know. Later that day, he was actually held on $1 million bail in in the Milwaukee City Jail in connection with the murder of his wife, Barbara, until charges were going to be pressed. So relatives of them were awarded temporary custody of all three children. On April 28th, prosecutors charged Anderson with first degree intentional homicide, and that actually carried a life sentence. 
Damn right it does. So given the seriousness of the charge, seriousness, mm-hmm. not seriousness, Siri. I hate Apple. We apples. <laughs> Macintosh apples, not the computers. I like technology. <laughs> You're really trying to figure a way to save you. You're just not coming up. Ding dong. <laughs> Definitely wrong. Oh, gosh. So, given the seriness. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. It's so bad. All right. Well, given all that, and the fact that he had family ties outside of the state, uh, Assistant Director Attorney Carol L. White, who actually prosecuted Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh! Oh, little, little weird. That was a little weird shoelace tie. Uh, she claimed that the defendant was a flight risk. Oh, absolutely. I would. I would. I, yes. I, he's, yes. Yes. I, yes. I would assume he's a flight risk. Too. Maybe he had his tow truck driver's license. That means he could fly a plane. Yeah. Jesse was also ordered to actually surrender his passport. That's how much they were like, this man's going to run. Give us your passport. Yeah. Good. So on May 18th, he pled not guilty. But he is guilty. So Dennis P. Coffey, the attorney for Jesse, he filed a motion to dismiss arguing violation of his client's due process rights caused by the delay in holding the preliminary hearing. I feel like people just, they just, they're like, oh my gosh, she took five breaths. Uh, Dismiss all of it. Yep. Yep. The motion was denied. Good. Coffee also demanded a change of venue, arguing that investigators' comments to the news media, along with the comparisons to Chuck Stewart murder, which is a case out of Boston in 1989, made his client get an unfair trial. And yes, we are going to put the Charles Stewart murder on our docket. Okay. Okay. Needless to say, they kept saying Jesse Anderson is just like this man. And therefore, the guy was like, we need to, uh, we need to change venues. So the request was denied. Good. On August 3rd. Good. And a jury selection began on the same day. Good. <clears throat> on August 5th, the Oakham... Oakum what? Opening. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't even close. <laughs> it's like my, my mouth just puts extra letters and everything. The opening arguments took place. So the prosecution case was that Jesse premeditated the murder of his wife, who had been previously abused, and they weren't getting along. Insurance money was also suggested as the motive. On August 13th, Jesse Anderson declined to testify. He was found guilty by an all-white jury after nine hours of deliberation. And I put that in there about the jury because other people did, other sources did. So somehow I feel like it's, there's got to be a reason. Why is, why were they all white? I don't know. I have no idea. The trial lasted eight days. On September 29th, he was sentenced to life without the 
possibility of possible. Yeah, until 2052. Oh. His sentencing hearing, Jesse actually said that he had been treated unfairly by the judge and jurors. He claimed they were biased due to excessive publicity. So, again, he's like, because this is such a hot topic here, since I'm, you know, being talked about so regularly, uh, y'all have just decided already that I did it. Just because y'all watch the news medias. Okay. I... Okay. He also vowed to continue pursuing the assailants that killed his wife. Dude, come on. Judge Michael D. Gooley responded to Jesse saying that he should have been on his knees praying to God for forgiveness, that he could see no remorse or true feelings in him, that he had preyed upon fear and racism. And that the court would not have allowed him to ever be on the streets again. Good. Jesse began serving his sentence at the Columbia Correctional Institution, which is a maximum security prison located in Portage, Wisconsin. That is where he worked in the education corps. 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 Tutoring. He, like, tutored other inmates on computers. And he also worked in the recreation department, and his assistant was Jeffrey Dahmer. Shut the front door. I won't shut it. It's there. It's going to be wide open. I legit, in my head, was just thinking, oh, I wonder how this is going to tie in with Dahmer. Bam! There it was. There. Wow. That was so loud. I'm sorry. All right. So when interviewed by the Milwaukee Journal six months after the beginning of a sentence, he still said that he was innocent and claimed he hoped that one day he would reunite with his children. I don't believe him. In early 1993, a $20 million worth wrongful death suit was filed against Jesse on behalf of his children. And this was to keep him from profiting from this crime. So the suit was postponed until 1995. But in August of 1993, a court ruling terminated Jesse Anderson's rights to manage and control his household assets. Meanwhile, his attorney asked that he would be allowed to withdraw from representing him. Why? Jesse filed papers of his own to appeal the ruling and was also and also filed an affidavit of indigency notifying that the court that he had no money to pay for a new attorney. So essentially he was like, uh, this man cannot not be my attorney. I have no other money. Okay. So on April 21st, 1994, which was the second anniversary of his wife's murder, Jesse Anderson was ordered to spend five days in solitary confinement. Why? Followed by 180 days without any recreation. For defacing a fellow inmate's portrait of Martin Luther King Jr. And it was actually in an attempt to frame another prisoner that he disliked. So he's framing somebody in prison and he's trying to frame somebody else for the murder of his wife's death when he's the idiot. I find it super interesting and ironic because Jesse was born in the same small as town. As Luther King's as, killer. Yeah. So I found that super interesting. 
A spokesperson for the Wisconsin Department of Corrections noted the irony as well, saying, that's what he did in this crime, wasn't it? Set it up and blame others? Yeah. So that is the story of Jesse Anderson. So I want you to come back next week for the final segment in this series that we're doing. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll be here. In the meantime, find us on our socials because we do like that. And meet us every Friday when the clock strikes. 1.13 a.m. I was just going to say a.m. But you said it first. And as always, make sure you stay alert. Stay salty. Stay intact. Nobody can see you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good. If I'm trying to get you to say something, I'll go stay. What's that mean? Alive. Alert. Alert. (laughs) What's this mean? Stay. Sad. Salty. (laughs) I'll just get a salt shaker. I'm terrible at this game. (laughs) I'm going to shake it like a salt shaker on me. And then what's this this one? Stay. Hugged. Intact. I'm intact. All my limbs are intact. (laughs) I'm really not cut out to play this game. And then stay... Wing-donged! Wing-donged! <laughs> I knew that one. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> See you next episode.